So if you'll take your Bibles now, I want to just focus for the next few moments on what a Christocentric uh, ministry looks like. Uh, it's in 1 Peter chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, well, this, I'll, I'll hang on to it, yeah. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, and uh, I think uh, the words are on the screen. And let's stand together, and we're going to read this passage together. This is Paul's instruction to pastors, to the congregation, to elders, uh, about how to build a Christocentric a ministry for the glory of God. You follow along as I read. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Uh, you and I, we live in a, a country where uh, we have uh, the freedom to worship, but many of our brothers and sisters today uh, don't have the privilege, don't have uh, the opportunity to worship in freedom as we do today. Uh, in fact, there is more persecution worldwide against Christians than ever before. And so we need to pray for the persecuted church as well today. Father in heaven, we love you, and we thank you for East Bay, and we thank you for what you're doing and for what you want to continue to do as we keep our eyes upon you. But Lord, more than anything else, we want to be a church that is under your authority, under your leadership, under your lordship. East Bay belongs to you, and Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to keep our eyes on you and to follow these instructions that you give to pastors and leaders and members of churches that uh, they would follow these guidelines as we form a partnership to defeat the enemy who would seek to dissuade us from the faith and to cancel uh, what you want to do in our lives. So Lord, uh, use these next few moments to encourage us and to help us to be more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The outline today is in the little folder. It's not in your program. It's in that little folder that says strategic ministry plan. And so if you want to take some notes, that would be the place to go. One of the most important things I can say to you today is simply this, that the church belongs to Jesus. It does not belong to the pastors. It doesn't belong to the elders. It doesn't even belong to the congregation. 
The church belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Jesus is the foundation of the church. And the Bible says that because he is the foundation of the church, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So Jesus is the one that we need to keep our focus on more than anything else. When our focus gets off of Jesus, uh, not good things happen. And we get distracted and we get going down paths that instead of building a sense of unity and joy, bring a lot of heartache and uh, discouragement. Now, it's very interesting that Christ is the cornerstone that the prophets foretold. He is the one that the prophets were speaking about in Isaiah 28 and verse 16. So this is what the sovereign Lord says, See, I lay in Zion a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. This is prophetic in anticipation of the fact that the Lord Jesus will come, that he will set up his kingdom, and that his kingdom will last forever and ever. Number two, Christ is the cornerstone, however, that the builders, the religious leaders, rejected. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, but he's become the capstone or the cornerstone. And so Jesus is the one who was foretold to be the cornerstone to the church. The religious leaders rejected him, but he remains the cornerstone because the book of Ephesians puts it this way, that he is the cornerstone upon which our faith rests. He says in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, Therefore, or consequently, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And here it is again, with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, it's very interesting that this letter that Peter writes comes from his heart. You remember that Peter was part of the inner circle of the 12. There's always Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. There was that that inner circle, and and he was the boisterous one of the group. Uh, He was always sticking his foot in his mouth. He was kind of cocky. He said he would never, ever deny the Lord, and yet he ended up doing what he said he would never do. But who's the first person to whom the Lord appears after his resurrection? It's to Peter. And I wish I could have been there and seen and listened to the dialogue between Jesus and Peter as the resurrected Lord restores Peter. And Peter, once he has this encounter with the resurrected Lord, he is never the same. Uh, He is bold to identify with Christ. Never again does he deny any kind of a relationship with Jesus. He is all in for Christ. In fact, this little epistle, 1 Peter, over 18 times he refers to Jesus Christ specifically again and again and again. He was captivated by Christ. And this book oozes Jesus Christ because Peter wants the people that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire to know that there is one and only one cornerstone and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting here, as you take a look at this passage, 
that he identifies himself in verse 1 as being a fellow elder. In other words, Peter is not an armchair quarterback. He's been involved in the battle. And he understands what it takes so that the church of Jesus Christ can be successful in a pagan world where, where uh, uh, so many folks have lost their way. So he's a fellow elder. He's, he's earned his stripes. He's earned his ability to speak from his heart and encourage uh, pastors, first of all, or leaders. And then he encourages the congregation. And then thirdly, he tells us how we can form a partnership between pastors and people to fight off uh, the enemy who would seek to distract us from the living God. Now, his first instruction is to pastors or to elders. And he says, you have one responsibility, and that is, notice the text in verse 2, you are to be shepherds of the flock, shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. He says, the number one responsibility of the pastor, of the elder, is to shepherd the flock. Notice, they are not just any flock. They are what? The flock of God. They are the flock belonging to God. Now, that word shepherd basically means to tend, to nurture, to feed, to encourage, to come alongside. In fact, it's the very same word that is translated uh, shepherd uh, and feed in John chapter 21 verses 15 and 16. Remember the Lord was talking to Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, well, yes, Lord, I love you. And what was the Lord's response? He said, well, and feed my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. Take care of my sheep. And he asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And he asked Peter a third time. By this time, Pete's kind of ticked off. He said, well, well, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says to him, well, take care of the sheep. Take, they are the flock of God. Now, the reason pastors and elders are to take care of the sheep is that they are called of God to take care of something that doesn't belong to them. It belongs to God. And that is why we never want to do anything as an elder or a pastor that would hurt the body of Christ. The body of Christ is precious. The body of Christ has been bought with the blood of Jesus. And so we are called as leaders, as pastors, as elders, to shepherd, to feed, to love, to lead you, not to coerce you, not to manipulate you, not to get you to do things our way. We are called to come alongside you and help you become everything that God has purposed for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice he gives us some very specific things. He says, first of all, he said, we are to shepherd for the right reason. Notice the text there in verse 2. He says, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. In other words, he's saying, you know, this, this role of shepherding is not something 
you do because you've been coerced into doing it. This is something that you need to be willing to do. You're not some kind of a drafted soldier. You are a volunteer, and God has placed you in the body to nurture and care and tend for something that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord, and you need to do it with a spirit of eagerness. Notice, in accordance with God's will as God wants you to be. It is such a privilege. I cannot tell you. And I think the older I have become, the more I count it a tremendous privilege to be able to shepherd the sheep. I don't think I really fully understood this when I was younger. But God gives us as pastors, as elders, the responsibility to take care of the flock. And that means we need to give them a good diet from the Word of God. We need to help them to understand God's will, God's plan for their lives. We need to care for them. We need to be involved with them. And we need to allow the congregation to be involved in our lives as well. Number two, he says we need to shepherd with the right motive. Verse two, notice, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now, I don't have to remind you. You've, you've seen all the devastation that happens when this principle is not followed. There have been churches all across the country and around the world that have been decimated simply because pastors and elders have not followed this principle. We're not in it for the money. If you are in it for the money, you're in the wrong role. I'm forever thankful to my dad. My dad was a pastor for 70 years. Pastor Sandy's dad pastored for over 60. When I entered the ministry, dad said one thing to me. He said, John, he said, never put a price tag on your ministry. You're not in it for money. But you must have a desire to serve. And that desire to serve comes because we are falling more deeply in love with Jesus. Now, there's something else here I don't want to slip by. When Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. The only way we can really feed the body and care for the body is when we ourselves as pastors are falling more deeply in love with Jesus. See, see, if I'm not falling more deeply in love with him, it's going to be impossible for me to, to care and to take care of the body that I've been commissioned to look after. And so all of us, all of us need to have this desire to, to keep falling more and more in love with him because when all of us are falling in love with Jesus, then God begins to mold us and make us into pastors and into people that God can use for his glory. And then number three, he says we're to shepherd in the right manner. Verse three, notice, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, let me say something very seriously here this morning. Leadership is never about control. 
When we get into positions and we think we can control things, we're in the wrong area. God doesn't call us as pastors and leaders to lord it over you. He calls us to shepherd you, to be concerned about what's going on in your life. This is one of the things that we'll be looking for in a new pastor, a pastor who understands the role of shepherding has nothing to do with control. It has everything to do with investing in others and helping others succeed. You see, when we are looking for ways to help others succeed, what happens? We succeed. Over and over again in the New Testament, it always talks about putting the interests of others above our own. When we are putting the interests of others above our own interests, then we as pastors and elders can have an impact for the kingdom. Now, what's the payoff on all this for pastors and elders? Look at verse 4. What, what are the results of this? He said, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. We serve not because we have to. We serve not because we're in it to advance ourselves. We're not in the ministry to lord it over others, but we are there to shepherd and to nurture and care. And as people see us falling more in love with Jesus, they too will fall more in love with him. Number two, he moves now from the responsibilities of the pastor and elders, and now he's talking to the whole congregation. And he says to the whole congregation, beginning in verse 5, he says, strap on humility. He says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, humility is an interesting grace, is it not? Heard about the guy that was given a medal for being humble and then he had it taken away from him when he wore it. You know, humility is something that's really hard. But humility just simply means to be more like Jesus. You know, Jesus, if, if we want to know what humility is all about, we just need to take a look at Jesus. Because he modeled humility so beautifully. And again, Jesus must be the focus of our attention. And he says here to the young man, he says, I want you to be submissive to those that are older. Be respectful of those that are older. That's the way you show humility. But then he says, notice, all of you. Put a circle around those three words. He's talking to the whole body of Christ now. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And that word clothe is a very interesting word. It, it means to fasten or to gird to oneself. And it paints the picture of a slave who has girt himself with a, a towel uh, and is actually performing an active service for someone else. And it paints the picture for us 
of what the Lord Jesus did with his disciples. Remember, his disciples were fussing over who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. And they were arguing over this, and, and not one of them would stop and wash each other's feet, as was the custom that in, the, in, in that eastern part of the world at that time. They were fussing over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. And what does Jesus do? He, he sees all these quarreling disciples, and he gets down with a basin, and he gets down, and he himself washes the feet of the disciples. See, see that's humility. See, it, it, it's performing it's, it's, it's being willing to do whatever it takes to love people into the kingdom. And this is something all of us are to be doing. Not just something pastor. I mean, we're to clothe ourselves with humility. But he's speaking now to the whole congregation. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Why? Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Friends, when we allow spiritual pride to enter our lives and we begin to think that we're just a little bit better than anyone else, that's sin. We have nothing to boast about, none of us, except the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, humility in this context, remember, this is in the culture of Rome. There was no humility in that culture. That was a culture known for self-assertiveness and, and getting your way at all costs. And Peter says to the people that are being persecuted by these Romans that are living in this self-assertive life, he says, I want you to be, be humble. I, I want there to be something uniquely different about the way you respond to one another as opposed to the way in which the people out in the world relate to one another. I want you to clothe yourselves with humility. I'll never forget my, my first encounter with Dr. John Stott. He was a visiting professor at Trinity, and I had the privilege one year to serve as his graduate assistant, and I was, I was in awe of Dr. Stott. I'd read all of his books. I mean, he'd been on the cover of Time magazine, he was just an outstanding Christian theologian. I wondered, how in the world, how in the world can I ever come alongside and work with this gentleman? I mean, I'm just a, I'm just a seminary student. How can I help this guy? I mean, he's... And I'll never forget going to his office, and the door was closed. And um, I, I was hoping he, did, he didn't hear. I just kind of did it little knock but he heard it he said well come on in and you know I walked in and I said well I'm I'm John and I'm I've been assigned to be your uh, assistant I said John come on in he said I've been looking forward to seeing you he, he was so warm and so genuine here's a man that has a keen mind but such a warm heart and let me tell you that kind of warmth is what we all need in the body of Christ. Where there's a, a warmth, there's a, a connectedness, that genuine humility. Uh, let me tell you, that, that's a missing ingredient in many churches. 
But when we're clothing ourselves with that kind of humility, then God begins to do some amazing things. Not only are we to clothe ourselves with humility, but notice he says in verse 6, we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And he's talking about things that happen to us that we don't expect. And we get beat down and we face circumstances that are beyond our ability to deal with. And we wonder, where is God? And in those moments, he says, I want you to bow down under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you in due time. Well, you say, you know, pastor, that's all well and good, but I'm really struggling right now. What should I do with all this stuff that's weighing upon me? I'm trying to be what God calls me to be, but how am I, how am I, how am I to operate with all these things, all these things that are happening around me that I can't control and, and basically steal life from me? Well, verse 7 is the key. He says, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. You see, if we will do the casting, God will do the caring. And we need to just recognize that as we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, he takes us through situations that we don't think we'll ever get through, but as we are sensitive to his voice, he does amazing things. And then he says, I want both of you as pastor and elders and people, I want you to stand up against the enemy. And I want you to look around this morning. Take, take a look. Just kind of glance around. Take a look at, take a look at the folks around you. Uh, th- those folks are, are, are not your enemies. They are your advocates. We only have one adversary. Only one. And it's not in this room. Okay? There is one adversary, and that's the devil. And notice what he does. He says, he goes around, he prowls around like a roaring lion, verse 8, seeking to devour someone. And let me tell you, there is a spiritual war going on, whether you recognize it or not. It is a huge battle. And let me tell you, we need to know who our enemy is and who it isn't. It's not fellow Christ followers. It's Satan himself. He is the one who seeks to devour and destroy all that God wants to build. Now notice he gives three commands. He says, I want you, knowing that you have an enemy, he says, I want you to be self-controlled. Don't let impulses and feelings determine your action. Make sure the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat of your life at all times. So important. You see, as spirit-filled Christians, we are to be self-controlled. That's exactly what Peter is saying to them. I want you to be self-controlled. I want you to be in control of yourself at all times. Plus, I want you to be alert. Don't let your guard down. Be like a soldier who's on duty 24 hours a day. He wants us to be alert. 
Because the enemy never fights fairly. He always hits below the belt. He knows where each one of us are vulnerable. And he will not attack you at your strength. He will attack you at your weakness. And that's why we need to be so full of the Holy Spirit, so committed to Jesus, so under his direction that we don't allow the enemy to build a stronghold in our hearts that keeps us from loving Jesus. How do we resist the enemy? Look at verse 9. By standing firm in the faith. In other words, we have to nurture this faith. We have to be in the Word of God so that the Word of God is in us. And we need to be so full of the Word that when the enemy opposes us, that we defeat him with the power of the Word that is within us. That's how Jesus handled temptation. Remember Satan took him up and showed him all the things he was going to give him if he would bow down and worship him. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And then he quoted scripture. That means we need to fill our minds with God's thoughts every single day. And when we do, we can be effective in standing up against the enemy of our soul. I think a Christ-centric ministry model is pretty simple. When the pastors and elders do their part, we shepherd, we tend, we care, we love, we're falling more deeply in love with Jesus. And when the people of God do their part, they clothe themselves with humility, and they allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives and there's a gentleness and there's a transparency and there's a, we love to be together because we've all been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus. And then when we unite together to form, to form a mighty army that is against the enemy of our souls, let me tell you, that's when the church will take off. But it happens when we make Jesus Christ number one. When Christ is the foundation and the cornerstone of our ministry, Christ will be our model for service. He will melt us together in humility, and he will reign triumphant over our enemy. I don't know about you, but I want to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. And when all of us have that as our MO, the way we live our lives, then Jesus is going to be praised and the community will know that we have been with Jesus. Let's stand together, shall we please? Lord Jesus, we love you. We are all people in process. You're not done with any of us yet. For many of us, what we've just said is 
something we've heard before. And for others of us, it may be new, and for still others of us, we may have heard it, but it's been difficult to put into practice. And so, Lord, whatever it is that we need to be doing to be a Christ-centered congregation, a Christ-centered church, help us as pastors and elders to do our part. Help us as members of the flock here at East Bay to do our part and that together we can form a mighty army that fends off the enemy who is out to devour and to destroy everything that we hold dear. Oh God, we surrender to you. We love you with all of our hearts. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning. And Maranatha, praise his name.